Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Dr. James Dobson is stepping aside from the ministry he founded after turning focus on the family into an evangelical powerhouse. We'll have some details. And during this election week, we have a couple of stories of pastors who are mixing politics and the pulpit. And that mixing has come with mixed results. At least one is under investigation. We begin today with an interesting story coming from one of the bastions of fundamentalism in this country, which is Bob Jones University. Yeah, you know, Christian institutions face a never-ending challenge, which is this. Which cultural changes should they embrace as they prepare for the future, and which ones should they, in fact, not embrace but actually stand against? Uh, the challenge is starker at a place like Bob Jones University, which, as you said, Natasha, has been well known for its fundamentalism for a century. Uh, disagreements over changes made at the school during the eight-year tenure of Steve Pettit, the school's fifth president and the first from outside the Jones family, uh, broke out into the open following an October 4th board meeting in which some board members said that they would let Pettit go rather than renew his current contract. That decision has now been delayed until November 17th. The opposition to Pettit has nothing to do with morality or doctrine, but with preferences of Christian practice, according to one alumnus. Yeah, that, that alumnus who has talked to members of the board of directors said that Pettit has been criticized on the board for the style of worship that is now being played in student chapel services, for what some are calling immodest clothing worn by female athletes, uh, questionable performances and musical selections from the fine arts program, and even Pettit's participation in a bluegrass band. Some board members have also blamed Pettit for firing some of the school's most conservative professors during the time of budget cuts. Yeah, now he does have defenders, though, and they say that the decisions about which professors to release were not made by him at all, but made by college deans and other leaders. And some heavyweights, at least heavyweights within the world of fundamentalism, have weighed in on this controversy. Yeah, that's right. Bob Jones III, for example, who served as the school's president from 1971 until 2005, wrote an open letter defending the critics of the current president. He said, your concerns for the future of the university are not unwarranted. But John Lewis, chairman of BJU's Board of Trustees, wrote on November 4th, open letter from the ministry leaders that expressed a collective voice of support for the leadership of Dr. Pettit. Yeah, in fact, uh, he emphasized the, the fact that Bob Jones University maintains its official position on virtually every doctrinal issue, uh, six-day creationism, male headship for the church and the home, the inerrancy of scripture, and a whole range of other issues. He also noted that Bob Jones has regained its tax-exempt status after a decades-long ban on interracial 
dating had led to the school to lose that tax-exempt status. And the college was recently uh, accredited by the Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. That's an important accrediting body. SACS, as it is known, uh, makes it, uh, SACS accreditation makes it easier for graduates of Bob Jones University to pursue graduate degrees. And Pettit has other supporters as well. Yeah, in fact, uh, thousands among the alumni um, uh, group that spread around the country, they signed a petition defending Pettit, and hundreds have offered comments on that petition explaining why they support him. Many are second- and third-generation alumni of the school who want to send their kids to Bob Jones but might not do so if Pettit is let go. By the way, David Freeman is a third-generation Bob Jones University alum who recently completed a law degree from the School of Law at Loyola University uh, in Chicago, and he's the one who alerted Ministry Watch to the situation there at Bob Jones, and he told us this, the Pettit years and the changes that he brought offer a new lease on life for the university and its future, if they would have it. Our next story highlights prosperity gospel preacher Benny Hinn. Yeah, a California pastor and owner of a Spanish-speaking television network has sued Benny Hinn and two associates of Benny Hinn for defamation. Uh, Hinn was served the lawsuit while he was actually speaking at a miracle service. In fact, you can see the um, summons server uh giving the lawsuit to Benny Hinn on YouTube. Uh, Bringing the lawsuit is a man named Norman Quintiero, uh, the CEO of Tele America Television Network and the senior pastor of Iglesia Getsemane in Anaheim, California. Quintero is suing Benny Hinn, Hinn Associates, including Donald Price and his publicist, Ron Teresian, and Teresian's company, a well-known PR firm called 5W Public Relations. Quintero alleges that Price published a website to destroy Dr. Quintero's personal reputation, according to the lawsuit. The website states, or at least implies, that Dr. Quintero has been convicted on criminal charges, and that statement is false. Yeah, in an online post, Quintero claims the suit against Benny Hinn will reveal many secrets. Uh, These include a double life, donations to finance, a lavish lifestyle, and much more. For over 40 years, Benny Hinn and his staff have manipulated the system. Again, I'm reading from Quintero's social media post. Now they face the biggest battle of their life in ministry. The lawsuit, I should say, lacks details on Hinn's alleged role in Quintero's defamation, but this could surface during court testimony. And the suit asked for a jury trial and damages of at least $500,000, as well as legal and equitable relief from the court. And that's not the only story that we have this week of churches suing churches. Yeah, that's exactly right. A large church in Des Moines, Iowa, for example, is suing a church and advocacy group down in Texas.
nexus for libel and intentional infliction of emotional distress. The lawsuit was originally filed in state court in Iowa, but then it was removed to federal court, where I should add the standards for defamation are much more difficult to meet. It, uh, it relates to a relationship between Bishop Dwight Reed, who's the leader of Christ Apostolic Temple, and a member of his congregation who was 19 years old when Reed, who is 63 years old, married her. Bishop Demetrius Senegal, pastor of the Kingdom Church in Houston and also founder of Safe House Unmuzzled, called for an investigation of Reed earlier this year. Yeah, now, although Reed's wife was not a minor when the marriage took place, as I said, she was 19 years old, Senegal and others allege that Reed may have used his position of authority when he counseled her at the church's school and influenced her in various ways. According to reporting by the Iowa Capital Dispatch, Reed's claims in his lawsuit that Senegal portrayed Reed as a child predator and who groomed a teenager, leading his wife to marry him against her will. He further alleges that Senegal engaged in a campaign to smear the couple and the church over the marriage. The Kingdom Church filed an answer to the complaint on October 28. What did the response say? Well, in it, Senegal denies that he made false claims against uh, Reed and asserted um, affirmative defenses. He said, number one, that the accusations that Reed has made against him for uh, related to defamation are untrue, that some of the statements are merely opinions, and that would be protected speech, according to the First Amendment. And number three, that Reed is a public figure and subject to a different standard when it comes to libel and defamation. And that standard is that there, that there doesn't have to be an absence of malice, which is the normal standard in a defamation character, that there has to be actual malice involved. Well, Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, a Tennessee church has closed in the aftermath of a sex scandal involving its pastor. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is the story we promised before the break. It's a story of a Tennessee church whose lead pastor resigned in September for sexual misconduct, and that church has now closed its doors for good. 
Yeah, Chris Watts is the pastor. He resigned from Life Change Church after the Nashville Tennessean uh, published a story. Uh, and in that story, they interviewed Valerie Swope, who is 19 years old, who says that Watts started an inappropriate sexual relationship with her when she was 16 years old. She was a member in a youth group that he led in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, Ministry Watch previously reported on his resignation and added that Life Change, founded by Watts in 2017, started as a Southern Baptist church, but left the convention three days after Guidepost published its report on sexual abuse within the SBC. Yeah, by leaving the SBC, Life Change bypassed a review process that may have resulted in the church uh, being ousted from the convention publicly. Now, there's another church, Experience Community Church, in that same area. They've already taken residency at uh, Watts' former church, um, celebrating uh, its opening on October 17th, just a month after Watts' resignation. The property is the third campus of Experience Community and will be absorbing many of Life Church's former members. They had their first formal service just this past weekend on uh, November the 6th. Now, in a Facebook post, Watts told former Life Change Tullahoma members that they were in his prayers. I know these last several weeks have been difficult, and I am so sorry for the pain and hurt many of you have experienced as a result of my past sin. And he thanked the board of directors for their work to keep the church moving forward. Well, Warren, we don't cover politics that much here at Ministry Watch. I mean, our mission is to bring transparency and accountability to Christian ministries and churches, but occasionally there's an overlap with politics, and that's what our next story is about. Yeah, that's right. Uh, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson uh, has a message for the state's evangelical pastors. He's encouraging them to run for office. Uh, Robinson has repeated his message at least eight times over the past several months at church luncheons across North Carolina that were hosted by a group called the American Renewal Project, a group dedicated to mobilizing evangelical pastors to run for school board seats, city councils, county commission, state legislature, and even beyond. The project has hosted similar events in Iowa, Missouri, South Carolina, and Texas. It takes uh, the now decades-long effort to get evangelicals engaged in electoral politics one step further. It seeks to bring pastors into elected office. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Robinson himself fits into that category. Uh, he's a 54-year-old Republican and a former preacher, a first-time office holder. He said that the nation needs pastors willing to fight a spiritual war in the halls of power. Now in its 17th year, the American Renewal Project reorganized two years ago to focus on these regional pastor luncheons in a handful of states. Uh, this year, eight of the 19 luncheons that it it held were in the state of North Carolina, drawing more than 1,500 pastors and their wives. The events are free and no offerings are taken up during the events. In addition to the lieutenant governor, each luncheon featured by North Carolina's Republican Party Chairman Michael Watney, who promised the pastors that if they run, the party will provide them the logistical support they need. Yeah, Watley said that pastors made great political candidates. He said this, you're really good at public speaking, you're great at herding cats, 
And God knows you can raise money. You're perfect. Again, these are Watley's words. Now, project leaders think the strategy is working. They claim that 50 pastors ran for various North Carolina offices in this year's primaries and that 25 of them won the primaries and made it on to the ballot for the general election this week. Though I should add that uh, these numbers are hard to verify. Uh, Only a handful, in fact, of the 50 and 25 that made it through to the general election have been identified by news outlets. And um, it's not known yet how many of the candidates actually won uh, the office that they were running for. And sometimes this mixing of politics and pulpit run afoul of the law. And that's our next story. Yeah, that's right. A pastor and city council candidate in Newport News, Virginia, is under investigation for allegedly soliciting campaign donations from the pulpit, which would violate Internal Revenue Service regulations. A video shows Willard Maxwell Jr., who is the pastor of New Beach Grove Baptist Church, encouraging parishioners to give to his campaign and to put political signs up in their yards. That video was forwarded to the Commonwealth's Attorney and Voter Registrar's Office and to local newspaper at the Daily News by a woman who identified herself as Sharon Richardson. Yeah, Maxwell, though, defended his alleged campaigning from the pulpit by listing other political candidates who had spoken at the church in the past. The old two wrongs, in fact, do make a right defense, I guess, um, saying that if they had been allowed to speak, then he should be, too. Again, this according to the Daily News reports. But churches that violate IRS rules can lose their tax-exempt status. Yeah, they can. But in reality, the Internal Revenue Service rarely does investigations of this type uh, into violations of that rule. Now, that said, the Commonwealth's attorney, Howard Gwynn, said that the matter is under investigation by his office and is being taken very seriously. Next up is the sentencing of Robert Lee Harris, who has been convicted of the murder of his wife. Yeah, Robert Lee Harris was an elder of a church called Repairers of the Breach Christian Center, which is a non-denominational church in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, And at the time of the murder in 2018, not only was he an elder, but his wife, Tanisha, was an associate pastor there. In January of that year, police responded to a domestic dispute call regarding an argument between Robert and Tanisha. Yeah, and a few hours later, after officers left the couple's apartment, Robert called back to report that Tanisha was missing. Uh, After being questioned by police, Robert eventually confessed his involvement in her disappearance, and Tanisha's body was covered the next day about 20 miles away in Raymore, Missouri. Her death was ultimately ruled a homicide. Warren, we need to take another break, but when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week... I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, 
and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have first? Well, on November 3rd, uh, just last week, uh, James Dobson Family Institute uh, announced that Joe Warisak, the ministry's chief operating officer for the past five years, would be the ministry's new president, replacing Dr. Dobson himself. Uh, Warisak joined James Dobson Family Institute in 2013, about nine years ago. Now, this announcement is kind of a big deal. I mean, the voice of James Dobson has been in the in tens of millions of Christian homes since the 1970s. Yeah, that's right. But he's been a less frequent guest in our homes more recently. Uh, For the last few months, programs have been hosted primarily by uh, Dr. Dobson's co-host, Tim Clinton, who's the president of the American Association of Christian Counselors and the ministry newsletter, which is called uh, Weekly Dobson Policy Center Updates, has been, been written mostly Uh, by Gary Bauer, a longtime ally who serves as senior vice president of public policy for the organization. So is Dr. Dobson retiring altogether? I mean, after all, he is in in his 80s. He's 86 years old, to be precise, but uh, James Dobson Family Institute said that Dobson will remain actively involved in the ministry, will continue to oversee and when he can, host the Family Talk broadcast. Uh, And they also added that other ministry leaders would take on additional activities at the organization. Next, we finally have a date for the meeting of United Methodists awaiting to vote to officially split the denomination. Yeah, the United Methodist Church uh, has announced the dates for the next meeting of its global decision-making body after it has postponed uh, the meeting at least twice before. It was originally scheduled for 2020. Uh, That meeting uh, has moved, this is the third time, uh, usually for pandemic-related issues, though there were some visa issues for the international travelers that were uh, also COVID-related that were a part of that as well. Well, to be precise, the next general conference will take place on April 23rd and go through May the 3rd, 2024, at the Charlotte Convention Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, The denomination's Commission for General Conference announced on Friday, last Friday on November 4th. The delegates are expected to take up a proposal to split the denomination, ostensibly over disagreements on the ordination and marriage of members who identify as LGBTQ. They were originally scheduled, as I said, for the 2020 General Conference. Uh, That was scheduled for Minneapolis, but it just keeps getting moved around. But some haven't waited for that vote to split. Yeah, that's right. All this movement and the delays have prompted some United Methodists to go their own way. They've launched the Global Methodist Church, a new theologically conservative denomination, rather than wait for the outcome of a vote that now is being pushed back another two years. And who did Christina Darnell spotlight in her Ministries Making a Difference column this week? 
Yeah, a number of organizations, but I want to highlight two of them. A Youth for Christ USA released its 21-22 annual report and cited a huge spike in meaningful discipleship relationships between staff and volunteers with youth. The ministry says that more than 7,000 youth made informed decisions to follow Christ. That's their language. And about 5,500 youth are involved in a discipleship relationship through Youth for Christ staff or volunteers. Uh, YFC USA has, by the way, three stars from Ministry Watch for financial efficiency and an A transparency grade, a donor confidence score of 90, which means that you can give with confidence to that organization. And another organization closer to home that I'd like to highlight is Charlotte Rescue Mission right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. They hoisted the steel beams last month as it began construction on a new men's campus for an an organization or a subsidiary called Rebound, which is the residential addiction recovery program there. Charlotte Rescue Mission is an organization that I've known about and been involved with over the years, so I want to make that full disclosure. It has a donor confidence score, not quite as high as Youth for Christ, a 73 score, but that still means that you can give with confidence. Do you have any final thoughts before we go today? Yeah, a couple of quick items. A final reminder that I'll be hosting a dinner for Ministry Watch friends in Newport Beach, California, uh, next Tuesday night, November the 15th. If you live in the L.A. area, especially down south in Orange County, uh, I hope you've gotten an email from me with more information and an invitation. But if you didn't, by all means, reach out to me. Send me an email. It's wsmith at ministrywatch.com, and I'll make sure you get the details. This dinner is free. It's just our way of saying thank you you for being a part of our work. And secondly, I want to mention to you once again that we've got something new here at Ministry Watch. We're starting to do a quarterly survey of the uh, CEOs and presidents, executive directors, whoever the senior leader is, at all of the ministries in our Ministry Watch 1000 database. Uh, The first two articles based on that survey uh, are now up on our website, uh, and I described the survey a little bit more fully in last week's Ministry Watch Extra episode. So if you want to read those articles, go to the Ministry Watch website. I think it's a great addition to what we do here at Ministry Watch. And if you want to know some of the thinking behind why we're doing it, click on that Ministry Watch Extra episode and check it out. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Scott Barkley, Jeremy Schwartz, Jessica Priest, Alejandro Molina, Steve Raby, Ann Steich, Jessica Ederalde, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. And special thanks to churchleaders.com for providing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.